Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Well, so today we are talking about the Gospels. We've been working through the entire Bible, starting with Genesis. We have made it now into the New Testament and into the Gospels for this morning. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we're going to throw Acts in there, and I'll explain why in a little bit. And so that's the order that they appear in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. Uh, But the way I want to talk about them to start here is to share a little bit about kind of when we think they were written and what their connections are. Because here's one thing I'm guessing, is if you have read the Gospels much or you've been around church for a while, you've maybe noticed that the Gospels have a lot of things in common, each book to book. But then there's some things that are just different in each one. And if you've ever wondered, why are some things different and some things the same? What I'm going to share this morning might help make sense of that a little bit. Uh, Because the Gospels were all written to tell the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They all tell about who this Jesus was. But just like any person who tells a story, each Gospel writer tells their story in their own little way, right? Like if we were each going to tell the story of what happened here this morning, we would probably all tell a little bit different story because I might say, oh, you know that we sang this Vagabond song. It's one of my favorite songs. It was really sunny. I was in the sun. It was hot all the time. You might say, well, I got to sit in the shade. That was pretty nice. And, you know, we'd tell the same story of the same service, but we'd tell it just in a little bit different way. And so, uh, because we have different perspectives. So as we look at these gospel writers, what I have here is on the top I put Mark because biblical scholars kind of agree that Mark was probably written first. And how these Bible stories came to be written into books was, you know, initially they were just passed on as these oral traditions, these stories that were told. But as some of those firsthand witnesses started to really frankly pass away and die, those firsthand accounts, people started losing them. And so then these gospel writers started thinking, man, we should probably write this stuff down. This is pretty important, uh, or else we'll forget what this is all about. And so Mark is probably the first one who is written, and uh, his is the shortest gospel, and it tells a pretty fast-moving story about who Jesus is. What happens next then is Luke and Matthew are written, and Mark, Luke, and Matthew are all considered the synoptic gospels. This is a biblical history lecture, just so you know. So they're called the synoptic gospels because they're similar. You know, synonyms, synoptic, uh, it's related words there, because those three all have a lot in common. And some of what they have in common is that the gospel of Mark, uh, there are parts of Luke and Matthew that are straight up copied. Luke and Matthew each copied from Mark. They 
took some of the stories of the way Mark wrote them, copied them word for word, and they became parts of the Gospel of Luke, parts of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew and Luke, they also told parts of their own stories and told it in their own way. But the other thing that happened was there was this kind of interesting thing where there were things that were exactly the same in Luke and in Matthew, but that weren't from Mark. And so this is where biblical scholars over the last several decades have said, you know what? We think that there was probably another source that Matthew and Luke took from, and they, a long time ago, named that source Q. Now, Q is something else these days on the internet. This Q is from the German word for koela, which simply means source, because they knew there is something, some writing about the teachings of Jesus that is out there that both Luke and Matthew take from that's just a little bit different than the way and the style that they wrote. So there's this kind of mystery source out there that Luke and Matthew share in common. And then the fourth gospel is the gospel of John, and John is just his own guy. John uh, is a gospel that's written not really like any of the others. It's totally different. It has a different style, a different cadence. Uh, it doesn't start with the Christmas story. I'll talk about it a little bit. It talks. It starts instead with this big kind of painting, a big cosmic drama. And so John has its whole own style that's not exactly similar or synonymous with the way that these other three wrote. And so he's kind of his own thing. And then we get to the book of Acts. Why are we including the book of Acts with the Gospels? Uh, the book of Acts, we believe, was written by Luke. Uh, so Luke wrote the story of the life of Jesus and called it the Gospel of Luke, but then he kept writing a book called the Acts of the Apostles, which starts with Jesus's, you know, after Jesus's resurrection, Jesus appears to them, and then he he ascends into heaven, but then it's all about these early apostles starting the church. They go from being disciples, which are ones like followers of the rabbi, followers of the, this teacher, to being apostles who are sent ones. They are sent to go and start the church, and that's what the book of Acts tells, the story of uh, the early church and all of these apostles and all of the things that these early church folks did, including uh, there's a guy named Saul who has a conversion, becomes Paul, and goes on to write half of the rest of the New Testament that we're going to talk about next week, these letters, which many of them are letters of Paul, who you can read about in the book of Acts. And so that's a little bit of where these gospels came from. And what I'm going to do during the sermon in a little bit is actually tell the story of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to get to those different pieces that are in each gospel, but I wanted to share a little bit of how they came to be. So as a way of just kind of starting to understand how it is that these books are so similar and yet different, how they all tell the life of Jesus, but each in their own way. And if you want more about that, you can read more detail in your little bulletin. There's a handy dandy little guide. And so uh, you can check that out. But that is the Gospels and Acts. Thank you. <laughs> and so if you have your bulletin handy, you can open to our prayer of the day and we'll join together in this prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, Open our hearts and minds to hear your holy word. Deepen our knowledge and understanding of the Bible, that it may be a living guide for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. A reading 
from the Gospel according to St. John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Here ends the reading. So if you just heard the biblical history of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a little bit about Acts, you're probably thinking, oh great, now he's back up here again. Yep, uh, here we go for a little bit more. And now we're going to think a little more in depth about who this Jesus is. Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking the earth teaching and preaching, there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of other rabbis, Jewish rabbis, who were likewise teaching and traveling and preaching, telling people about God. And yet, how many of those other rabbis can you all name? Can anyone throw out some names of other uh, first century rabbis? Probably not. Most of them have been lost to history, except for this one Jewish rabbi named Jesus, who is written all over history and known around the world. And so it begs the question, what makes Jesus so different? Uh, what is it? There were lots of people doing exactly what he did, teaching and preaching back in that time, but what set him apart? And what I want to think about today is that this idea that what set him apart can be answered in the question that is our theme for today, which is also a title of a 90s pop song. If you're familiar with the Joan Osborne song, it's What If God Was One Of Us. That was a song that came out many years ago, but that question is, I think, what sets Jesus apart. What if God was one of us? We call this the incarnation, this idea that God is one of us. And so in the incarnation, that word incarnation, it literally means just the synthesis of spirit and matter. So the synthesis of the divine, like spirit and soul and matter, like our physical bodies, our, our, everything we see and can touch, that those things are bound together, the spirit and the matter, rather than being totally separate we know from the life of Jesus and this witness of the Bible that they are actually bound together as one. 
And so the time and place that we hear most about the incarnation is at Christmas time. And so what I want to do this morning is go on a little journey, starting with Christmas and going all the way through the end of the Jesus story with the resurrection. And so we're going to share some scripture readings. We're even going to do a little singing. And so Taylor's going to lead us in some singing this morning, uh, some songs that help tell our story of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to start at the very beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, where, jo- where an angel appears to Joseph and says this to him. In Matthew chapter 1, says, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the incarnation. The spirit and the matter are one. God with us. God is with us. And then in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, we hear more about the Christmas story. That's that familiar Christmas story that we hear even uh, Linus read in the Peanuts story. And it's Luke chapter 2. It tells the story of Mary and Joseph making a long trip to Bethlehem. And then this is what happens when they get there. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Are you getting in the Christmas spirit yet? We're hearing these Christmas stories, these stories of the birth of Jesus. But now, interestingly enough, if we look at the Gospel of John, John does not start his talk about who Jesus is with the story of the birth. Instead, he starts this kind of, from a, it's like a big cosmic drama. He is talking about incarnation, though. He's saying that Jesus is this combination of spirit and matter, that Jesus is that, but that that didn't start just 2,000 years ago. It actually started at the very beginning, going way back to Genesis and, yeah, the very beginning of it all, the creation. And where Genesis 1-1 starts with the words, in the beginning, So does the Gospel of John when it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word as in Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And so this idea of the incarnation is that not just with Mary and Joseph, not just with Jesus 2,000 years ago, but from the very beginning, there has been the Spirit of God deeply imbued into all of creation. And so we celebrate that incarnation, especially at Christmas time when we sing songs like Joy to the World. So I think you'll probably know the words well enough to sing, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Good job. Merry Christmas, everybody. Joy to the world, indeed. And so, you know, Jesus is this incarnation, the Spirit of God, and real tangible earthly matter combined into one. And so we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. But as the Gospel of John says, that isn't just from just a while ago or just 
a long time ago. It's here and now, and it's all the way back to the very beginning. And so what's so interesting to think about then next, I think, is then with this person of Jesus, the incarnation, this spirit of God in matter, this one walking the earth, what does Jesus do with his time on earth, right? What does he do with these years? We don't hear a lot of stories about his childhood. It's mostly his adulthood and this ministry that we hear about, and it's mostly focused around the gathering of people around him. He gathers 12 disciples, these 12 disciples that are named as the 12 disciples, but then there's other close followers who are there along the way, as well as big crowds that come out sometimes, sometimes smaller crowds, but there's just a lot of people, and that becomes the core of his ministry. I've often kind of wondered what it would happen if the Bible was written today and they were telling those stories because in that time, it was a time, it was very much a man-dominated world. And so it's not terribly surprising that Jesus would have 12 male disciples. What is kind of surprising is that there's all these other women who are a part of the stories as well, who are there right alongside those other disciples, at everywhere from the Last Supper to these other gatherings when there were really times of significance. And so it kind of makes me wonder that if that Bible wasn't written today, and we were there in person, that maybe those women would have been named as official disciples as well. And instead of just 12 men, we would have had 15 or 20 disciples and a number of them being women. This is me hypothesizing upon the Bible. Uh, but I think the, the core idea there is that Jesus, God walking the earth, thought that being with people he cared about and loved was really important. And I think that's something we can relate to. That was core to his whole life told through each of the Gospels was that Jesus wanted to be with people, his dearest, most closest friends, but also with any number of outcasts and people in need who were on the edge of society who he saw as really important to bring them back into relationship, back into community. He did this through uh, teaching and welcoming them himself, and he did this through healing. He healed so many people of such a variety of illnesses, and all the time along, he taught saying, this is love. There is this spirit of God, this love of God that is just present in this world that you need to embody like I'm embodying, he would say. And so we see this in the gospel reading that we heard today, where he talks about the importance of these friendships and the importance of love. Here's what he says in John chapter 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so Jesus is this friend to his disciples and this friend to us still. And so we even have a song about that, you know? What a friend we have in Jesus. So I don't know if you know this one, the words are, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain 
bear. All because we do not care. Everything to God in prayer. Jesus gathers these close followers and friends, and what we see in Jesus is Almighty God, which is a phrase that comes up so often in church with our prayers and different uh, elements of even our worship services, but we see something else in Jesus that sets him apart, that makes him different and even kind of surprising, and that is that we see an all-vulnerable God. Uh, Jesus says he's talking about calling his disciples friends and entering into real relationship with people. What we know is that you can really only enter into real relationships with people if you're practicing some real vulnerability because you're making yourself open and vulnerable to them. Uh, Someone who loves you a lot can hurt you a lot. But we enter into that vulnerability because along with it comes so many other wonderful things. I mean, just true joy and comfort and you know, communion together. That's a very churchy word, but the idea that when you are really with someone you deeply care about, you're willing to kind of let your guard down, and that's the beauty of relationship, and that's what Jesus does. He is Almighty God, but He's also all-vulnerable God, open to opening himself up to even being hurt. And we see that throughout the Gospels, that Jesus, you know, he weeps in the Gospel of John when one of his friends dies. He celebrates at weddings. He, you know, he lives this life experience with all of the joys and the challenges that come with opening yourself up to being in relationship with people. And so it's with that vulnerability in mind that I want to share a couple of verses that are maybe, uh, especially John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the whole Bible, certainly among the Gospels. I want to share 16 and 17, though. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God isn't about condemnation and judgment, but rather God is about restoration and new life. This is what the life of Jesus and even the death of Jesus are all about. It's this notion that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about humanity, but rather Jesus was God, is God. Jesus came to change humanity's mind about God. And so that kind of vulnerability, that kind of outpouring of God that we see in the life of Jesus is ultimately also then what leads him to the cross, this death, the ultimate outpouring. And so on Good Friday each year, we gather to sing songs like, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? And we're going to sing a verse of that. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? 
Jesus on the cross is the ultimate image of that vulnerability of God. Uh, God pouring God's self out for and upon the earth. Uh, there is a real vulnerability. That is that all-vulnerable God willing to go to the cross and die. And so in that, God knows suffering. Uh, Carl Jung, if you know Carl Jung, he once talked about how there's only one suffering. He said there's only one suffering. And so when one is suffering, when you're suffering, it's the same suffering that I'm bearing. And you can say it's the same suffering as God, that this world knows just one suffering and that we all taste it in different ways and at different times. But a part of that within this Jesus story is that All suffering is the suffering of God. And so if you are suffering and going through something really difficult and hard, you're not alone in that. Not only are there, I hope, people around you supporting you and loving you, but God has known suffering and God is with you in that suffering and your suffering is God's suffering. And so we celebrate this fact that suffering isn't the end of the story. (laughs) Suffering, it's nice to not be alone in suffering, but it's better to not be in suffering. And so when we gather on Good Friday, we sing, were you there when they crucified my my Lord? But then we gather on Easter morning and proclaim a even more joy-filled truth that Jesus is with us in the resurrection, that God is something beyond just the suffering as well. And so on Easter morning, we say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So let's see if you can say that with me. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ Christ is is risen indeed. indeed. This is the truth that we celebrate Easter morning as we sing uh, Easter hymns. And so we've got one now that Taylor's going to lead us in. Now all the vault of heaven resounds. Can you give us a few of the words? This one might not be as familiar, sure, but it's a goodie. Now all the vault of heaven resounds in praise of love that still abounds. Christ has triumphed, he is risen. Sing choirs of angels loud and clear, repeat their song of glory here. Christ has triumphed, he is living. Alleluia. Yes. Let's sing it. Okay, okay. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. I want to share a quote now from uh, the author and priest uh, Richard Rohr. He is someone who has written a lot and talked a lot about incarnation. It's really shaped how I see Jesus in this kind of vulnerable way along with that almighty God element. And so here's what he says in one of his books. He says, creation is the first and probably the final Bible. Incarnation is already redemption. Christmas is already Easter. And Jesus is already Christ. Simply put, 
if death is not possible for Christ, then it is not possible for any that shares the divine nature. And so what we celebrate in this Jesus story is the very incarnation of God, of spirit and matter combining in Jesus, but from the beginning, in this creation that we're blessed to be a part of. And so we, from the very beginning, have a God who has poured God's self out into creation, a God who makes God's self vulnerable and uh, along with us in the suffering, but also in the joys of life so that we can trust that no matter how dark the night, there is a morning of hope and joy to come. And so uh, this is this idea of Jesus. When I think about the life of Jesus framed in that idea of the incarnation, it makes it not just a dusty old story told by a couple gospel writers a lot of years ago, but it's a living, breathing presence of God with us even as we gather here this morning and as we go our own ways when we leave here. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.